it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 593 for May 17th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Barbu Schatz with Programming by Stealth. This is now installment 78 of X. And I had so much fun this week, Bart. Yay. Well, actually, I had a lot of fun watching you. I Proper software development, right? You were developing this game. You were playing around with ideas. Like That's how building software works. I think this may be the first time I've gotten to start with a blank piece of paper. I mean, it was just, we had some guidelines and everything else was up to me. It's the first time I've made you start with a blank piece of paper. You haven't hated me for it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's be precise. So I want to tell the audience how much fun I had because, um, Bart was was explicit in his instructions, but his instructions were fairly limited. And when he said uh, he said uh, we were supposed to guess one to 100, but uh, in my game, I did one to five. And so I sent it to Bart fully functioning. It it did everything I was supposed to do. Uh, there's some enhancements that I've struggled with getting to work, but uh, in general, it did work really well. But Bart came back and said, oh, there's there's one problem is it doesn't seem to be that I ever get the right answer. And what I did in my game was every time you play, the answer is different. And I said, Bart, it's not that it's wrong. It's just a game you don't want to play. <laughs> well, it was pretty evil because, like, you know, what's the point in telling me I was too high or too low if the next time I could be too, you know, I could be, it didn't mean anything. It's just a game where every time you play, somebody goes, wrong! <laughs> yeah, only they tell you what way you're wrong, but it doesn't help because next time it is no connection. When the, my language of my of explaining the game does say, if you ever win, and I seriously doubt that, I'll tell you how many guesses <laughs> before you succeeded at your task. Now, the uh, I did only do it one to five because uh, I and the way I play it, I just turn on the the uh, console dot law or the the JavaScript console, and the first thing I have it spit out at me is what the correct answer is, so that I could test when I got it right and when I got it wrong more quickly. I didn't actually log that, but I did make the variable that holds the guess be in the global scope. So if I really wanted to, I could have a peek. Oh, nice, nice. Well, anyway, I had a lot of fun. My game is nothing like yours, but I did it all by myself. Dorothy didn't even help me. Yeah, and as I said, I just had so much fun watching it evolve because you'd send me a copy and then be like, okay, that's interesting. And then the next day I get another copy. It's like, oh, a lot of work gone into this. And I started on Monday, the day after we recorded last time, or two days after I was, I, and I did, I didn't get anything done most of the week. So that was fun. And the thing is, I was sort of in parallel with you because I was having a lot of fun too. Um, and then you actually gave me a whole bunch of really good feedback on my sample solution. So it it's actually way nicer than it would have been without your help. So it, it was kind of fun. It we, was kind of fun because uh, when you first did it, it wasn't as mobile first as one would have hoped. Well, mobile to a point, tablet, but not phone. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I ended up uh, doing it with a uh, with a phone. So, um, yeah. Anyway, I love uh, Dorothy. Did help me with one. She found, there was one weird little bug I was having trouble with, but uh, uh, she helped me out with that. So I shouldn't say she didn't do anything. There's always one thing she's got to help me with. Hey, but that's you know that's the whole point of buddy coding, right? It, it's it's all about helping each other. Yeah, half the fun. I mean, that was the reason I used to really, really enjoy the IT society when I was at university. Is I, I learned as much by you know 
helping other people and them helping me. And, you know, that sort of communal coding was was more fun than any lecture I ever was at. So, you know, it's a very important part of all this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, we've mentioned quite a few times the Slack uh, that we have, podfeet.com slash Slack. And in there, uh, Geeko Supremo, who, uh, Caleb, who always comes out with amazing things, just posted mm-hmm. recently that, that we were talking about doing console.log. Um, there's a, a tool built into Firefox now where it will constantly be uh, allow you to do consoles without littering them in your code. Yeah, so basically you can enter the debug panel in the developer tools and mark lines of code and say, I want you, every time you pass this line of code, to tell me the value. Yeah, that was cool. Haven't played so with it So it's basically yet. the equivalent of those those little multimeters with the probes. Yeah. <laughs> You're sort of sticking probes into your code going, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, that wasn't what I expected. Or, <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. I like it, I like it. Anyway, All right. so the zip file contains my sample solution and some new stuff for this week. Uh, we should mention to the listeners that we promised you that we would be moving on to JavaScript promises as a solution to callback hell. Um, that ain't happening because for various logistics reasons, this week is just slightly different to how we planned it. So we're sort of taking an intermission from our scheduled process. And what we're going to do today is we're going to go through my sample solution, which I have used as an excuse to teach you two new things. Oh, okay, good. So one of them is Bootstrap, and one of them is actually to do with uh, validation, which is something you've mentioned to me in the pre-show. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to say that in all the homework assignments we've ever had, whenever there's a chance to do error correcting, error checking because the person was a moron and put in the wrong kind of thing from what you told them to do, I have simply gone, yep, you're getting a pull down because I don't want to do error checking. So I spent a lot of time on error checking, which sort of works in mine. <laughs> Many of them work. Well, to be honest, your approach is actually the more human-friendly approach in general. You know, wherever possible, make it impossible for the human to get it wrong, because they will. Yeah. And then belt and suspenders where you have no choice. Yeah, but I wanted to flex those muscles. But I have actually gotten my code into a condition, and we're not going to go through my homework because we would never get done if we did mine too, but um, where... I have an if-else situation where it fails the first test and then passes a later test. And for the life of me... I'm convinced there's two copies of that function running. Yeah. And therefore, one of them is going one way and one of them is going the other way because there's no Heisenberg uncertainty principle in JavaScript. (laughs) That was exactly the joke Steve and I made when we were talking about it. (laughs) The particle is not going through both slits and interfering with itself. This is not a a slit experiment, a Young's double slit experiment. Yes, There are two copies of that function running, I guarantee it. I love that we're all nerdy enough that you, we came up with the same joke. <laughs> nerdy, sad. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, awesome. Yes, we are. Okay, so what I'm not going to do, so the, my sample homework is all in the file. I'm not going to go through it line by line because you can read just as well as I can. What instead I want to do is I want to talk over the big picture design. So we spent a lot of time looking at individual trees and examining the detail on their bark and the shape of their leaves. Today, I want to look at how we lay out the forest, how we actually structure something that has a bit of size to it, right? Because this, on the one hand, it's a trivial little game, but actually there's enough here that you have to architect it. You have to design it. You have to think about it. And that's something we haven't, we haven't spent much time zooming out in this series. 
Right. For good right. reason. It took, you know, we had to learn how to build each individual tree. So I guess the first thing to say is the reason that these kind of things are now becoming fun to do is that our virtual digital tool belt is really quite full of tools. So when we're presented with a problem, we have a lot to choose from. So for my solution, I decided I just sort of list what it, what tools did I reach for? And I ended up being kind of surprised at myself at how long the list is. So of the stuff we've covered before, I went for the bootstrap grid for my layout. I used a bootstrap navigation bar for the menu at the top of the game. I used a bootstrap spinner while the interface was loading. Um, I hadn't seen my own spinner until today when my internet broke and I'm now on a 4G dongle. Now I've seen a lot <laughs> of my spinner. I wanted to do a spinner, but it ran too quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, I had the same problem, but I put it there because it was theoretically needed. And today I was like, oh, that works. Yeah. <laughs> um, bootstrap alerts for giving feedback to the user. Bootstrap button groups for collecting my buttons into nice little button groups. Um, Bootstrap modal dialogues for communicating with the user when I need to communicate with them so they can't do anything else. A whole bunch of jQuery, obviously, including for the Ajax. A whole bunch of mustache templates. Ah, some font awesome five just for nice glyph icons. <laughs> so that's quite a bit. And then there's the two things that I haven't talked about you yet. So the two new things we're going to sneak in today, which are uh, the is.js micro checking library, as it calls itself. Hmm. And uh, bootstrap popovers. Ooh. And there is actually a third one we're not going to focus on today. But in my homework, you'll see a little about box, which is nicely formatted. That is a bootstrap component called a card. No. And we haven't looked at cards yet. So technically, that's a third thing. Three but things. I actually want to come back to cards because they're cool. Can I tell so you one cool look- thing I added to mine? Um, yes, I, I'm, I wrote this in the uh, in our Slack, podfeet.com slash Slack. Um, I added a nav bar that I'm making into a text expander snippet that gives me a pull down that takes me to the programming by stealth homepage on at uh, at barbie.ie and has a link directly to the lesson that you're on. And uh, what was the third thing? I think, I oh, I did some uh, some other resources like the jQuery API and the Ajax API. I put them in there. So what I'm always doing is going, oh, crud, I got to I closed that window. Dang it. I got to go open another window. Oh, I got to I got to find my my bookmark to get to Bart site. And then from there, I got to go find jQuery. Now I have them in a pull down that I'm going to add to every file I create. That's. That's quite you. And having that as a text expander snippet is extremely handy, of course, because then you just bloop and there it is in your next assignment and in your next assignment. Exactly. I mean, I got to change which lesson, you know, it's pointing to, but that's about it. Yeah, which is straightforward enough, yeah. Um, For the reason you describe, I'm a huge fan of an app called Dash, which is an app where you can download for offline use documentation for all the various libraries you want, and it's Mm -hmm. all searchable. So if you use jQuery all the time, which I do, I have the jQuery documentation sitting in Dash. I have the mustache documentation sitting in Dash. You can write notes to yourself straight onto the documentation. You can bookmark things for yourself. So I showed you Dash many, 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 many moons ago. But at the time, you weren't yet a sleuth of docs like you are now. So maybe now would be a time to... to to give Dash a free trial and see if, if it yeah. now solves a problem for you that it wouldn't have done a year ago. Is that a Mac App Store app or should I go search in the link? It is not a Mac App Store app because 
the chap dirtied his babe with apple and got booted. Uh-oh. I found it. Capelli, he... Capelli.com slash dash. That sounds right. Got a pretty little D in purple and orange and green on purple, the logo. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's for Mac purple. and iOS. Nice. All right. That's dot com slash dash. So I say I, I have and once you get Dash set up the way you want with all of your bookmarks and stuff, you can very quickly and it is it has multi tabs. So depending on what I'm working on, I'll have different tabs open for, you know, JavaScript docs, jQuery docs, mustache docs, hmm. you know, all the stuff. Oh cool. Yeah. And because it's offline, it means that when your internet's broken, you still have documentation, as <laughs> I discovered today. Ah, but none anyway. of your stuff's gonna work because you can't load the JavaScript libraries. Yeah, that was, well, they did eventually load because I have a trickle of internet. But yes, <laughs> everything, that's the reason my spinner shows up is because we're getting everything from CDNs. Mm-hmm. So Bootstrap had to go load from the internet, which is why I got to see my spinner for a wee while. <laughs> Actually, that must have been a while something else was loading because it couldn't have existed until then. Anyway. Okay. That's not here there. All right. So, okay. So the first thing is... So I wrote my code so that we can play along on the console, which is a technique for making the code easier to debug for yourself. If you have the variables in the global scope, you don't have to litter your code with console.logs. You can just ask the console to tell you the current value of something. So at the top of my code, to make it easier for everyone to play along, you will find a whole bunch. I said the top of my code, the top of the JavaScript bit of my code. You'll see I have globally scoped variables, things like buttons per group five, number of button groups 20, min one, max is min plus buttons per group times number of... Anyway. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh, Random number. Pretty. The array of guesses. So all that kind of stuff is there. So you can, you know, if you open up the console, mm-hmm. you can actually do things like get the guess button by number and then click on it. So if you copy and paste that there into the console on my sample solution, you can click 42 from the console. So if you type console 42, you're saying that'll click 42? No, no. Okay, no. so you see the way in the show notes, it says guess underscore buttons underscore by underscore number 42 dot click. Ah, okay, that whole thing. Yes. So that that array, that, sorry, that object guess buttons by number, every button in the grid is, it's a lookup table of all the buttons oh. in the grid. Oh, interesting. So as I'm experimenting with things, I don't have to, I can just do it from the console. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot prettier code too. Okay. Yeah. And if I want to see, so if you want to cheat and you want to see what the, what the random number is, if you type random underscore number in all caps into the console, you'll see the current random number. Yeah. If you click on a few and then you type guesses in all caps into the console, you'll see your list of guesses. Hmm. Okay. If you want to see all the icons I'm using, you type icons in all capital letters and it will show you the icons object. And probably the most interesting one of all, if you want to see all of my mustache templates, if you type templates in all caps, you'll see the object where I've stored all of the templates I need. Oh, neat. And I do that for a couple of reasons, because it means I don't have to remember what ID I gave the script tags, right? I just shove them on into this object. Uh But it also makes my code a lot more readable. 
And it means that next time when we did, because this time I took everything into script tags because I did not want to go into callback hell with that many templates. You can see how many there are in that object of templates. That would not be good to spend callback hell looking for that many interdependent calls. Okay. Along with the call for the random number. So I stuck them on the script tags. But next time when we know what promises are, we can do it all with promises, get all of those templates out of that one giant big index.html file, and I won't have to change much of my code. I'll just have to change how that one object gets populated. Hmm. Okay. I, I don't know what all these templates are, but they look nice. Okay, well, they're in a ev- list. Literally, every, every bit of the user interface is done through a mustache template. So there's a template there for what happens if you click on a number that's too low. And, uh, you know, it's basically there's a template there for everything that the UI tells you. It's okay. kind of, you know. So throughout my code, you just see a whole bunch of mustache.renders all over the place, wherever I need a message. You know, and the, I again, I didn't use any mustache. That way I can change my mind on how snarky I am without having to go hunting through the code for where I do that. It's all, it's you know, just it's in a template. Just fix, you know, not fix, alter, tweak. <laughs> And those templates got tweaked a lot as I was poking around trying to get this to a finished solution. So sort of breaking things apart is a good way to avoid spending a lot of time scrolling. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know about that. Okay. The next thing then I did, so programming, it's really hard when you're given a giant big blank page to tackle the whole problem in one bite. It's like trying to eat a Big Mac the way it looks on the telly as opposed to the way they look in real life, which is massively disappointing. But uh, like a Big Mac on an actual telly is impossible to eat in one go. Mm-hmm. So don't try. So I, one of the first things I started to work on is breaking the code down into small little bite-sized utility functions that just do one small thing, sort of the menu bar app of, of a program, right? There's one thing and does it well. So I do that because... As I break things down into utility functions, it avoids code duplication. I'm not right. How many times, you know, I am going to have to tell the user things, right? I'm going to choose to do so using a bootstrap alert. Well, I don't want to be copying and pasting the code for a bootstrap alert. I want to write a function that does it and then call that function. And then if I change my mind and decide that I don't want alerts, I want toasts. Well, I don't have to change it everywhere with more copying and pasting. I just change how the one function works, and all of a sudden my UI has completely changed. Hmm. And of course, how do I tell the user something is a nice, small, self-contained problem. So it's not daunting or scary. Therefore, I can do that, I can get it to work, and then I can go on to the next small, bite-sized piece that isn't daunting or scary. But how do you get those messages to come up without writing all your code to say put in a number and do error checking and then you have ah. an error to to launch it well no because they're functions you're writing so you just call them from the console so as an example if you copy and paste the show game message called below mm-hmm. you'll see that you don't need any of the plumbing in place to just pop that into the console So I spent so much time on the console as I'm developing. Is, is I what don't I'm understand. Is, it just it. said undefined. Nothing happened. Uh, well, have a look on the screen. Yeah, nothing came up on the screen. I think oh, you'll find that oh the... it's not on screen. I had to scroll to go find it. Oh, you'd scroll down. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this cake is nice. Okay. Nothing beats a great cookie. 
You just wanted you to use the cookie favicon, didn't you? Pretty or, much, yeah. Fantasm, I should say. <laughs> and it's fa-cookie-bite, um, by the way. It's not a whole cookie. Yeah, well, I tried a whole cookie, but I didn't, it didn't look like a cookie to me. Whereas with a bite out, it's like, I know what that is. <laughs> you made fun of my dice. You said you didn't know what they were. That was the font out I didn't of recognize it because they, were, so, they, they were too small. But, you know, once you told me what they were, I was like, oh, of course they are. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it's the same size as your cookie. I know. I'm not, it's not complete. It's not, a, it's the font awesome dice. If they were at a slight angle or something. You know. Right. Anyway. I tried making them an angle, but the angles you can change uh, dice or uh, font awesome to are 90 degrees. Oh, yes. And a square <laughs> that made a huge difference. Yeah. It didn't help me at all. I did look though, because that occurred to me. In fact, I tried to put it inside a spinner. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it was revolting. It was just awful because these spinners have an arrow in them already. So, you know, a, cir- a semicircle. Oh, yeah. And so it was just this dice rolling around chasing this circle. It was awful. I sent it to Dorothy to irritate her, though. I think, didn't you do with the fire extinguisher when we were dealing with spinners? Yeah. Yeah. That one was pretty, though. Yeah. Because I had five of them going in all different colors. Anyway. Anyway, the point is, these utility functions I can just call from the console as I'm working on them. So I don't have to. I don't have to have all of my buttons in place to see what the messages look like. I can just work on getting the messages to work by popping them into the console. Okay. So that's why I break things into these little utility functions. The next thing I worked on then is the gameplay functions. So those are guess number, reset game, quick game. Because I don't need to have buttons in place. I just need to have, you know, a very, very bare basic UI in place to start having those functions working. I don't have to have the I give up button or anything like that. So if you want to try and play along on the console, you can just type guess number 80 and it will Mm -hmm. guess 80 for you. Hmm. Then you can call a reset game and the whole thing should blank itself again. Then you can type guess number 42. Right. And then you can type quit game. And it's interesting, the console is auto-filling those for me, so it knows about them. Yeah, because they're declared in the global scope and it's being helpful to you, yeah. Hmm. It's auto-complete, basically, because those variables exist global in the global scope. So that's the So the reason I popped all of those functions in the global scope is so that I can use the console like this. Yeah, cool. So going back to our pre-show conversation, it's a reason you might take your start game function out of your document ready handler and pop it up a level. I tried, Bart. I had that whole start game thing outside, and I'd, I've put yeah, it outside. There, there may inside. be a few. There may be a few other things that have to come into the global scope too. Yeah, I spent a lot of time moving that start game function in and out of that Ajax call. It's been inside, outside, inside, outside. I've, I'll show you my scribbly notes I did in Notability on my iPad where I so take it out, put it in, take it out, put it in. Um, I, I, you mentioned the card, and I know you're going to get into that uh, later, but I just noticed something interesting. When you reset the game, um, the card briefly, sh- and you have a narrow screen, the card shows mm-hmm. for a split second and then is replaced by the game. It's like it, it gets there before the game when you've got it in a narrow uh, format. As you mean the card shows. So you've, you've got the card, you called it, on the, that's on the right-hand side that tells you, that explains the game and everything you're doing. Uh-huh. Um, if you make your screen narrow, the, the card drops down to the bottom below the, the gameplay. Okay. But if you reset yes, those, game yeah. for a split second, you see the card first. 
before it slides well, down. Well, the spinner should be above it, but the spinner is much smaller than that whole big grid of buttons. Um, I don't think I'm making myself clear. It it shouldn't show at all, but it does all of a sudden. How do you mean it shouldn't show at all? So the 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 card is supposed to be down at the bottom, right? When you're in a narrow screen. Yes. But if you reset it's supposed the game... To, well, no, it's supposed to be below the game grid, but there is yes. no game... When you reset the game, the whole game grid is deleted. Oh, and the card still exists. And the card still exists. I see, so, so that's why it shows. Up. Okay. It, it kind of freaked me out, because it's like, Whoa, what was that? Yeah, there is a spinner there briefly, but the spinner is much shorter than that whole big grid of 100 buttons. Oh, uh, okay. I should unplug my router and see if I can slow it down. I was going to say, I see the spinner, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Okay. All right. Have them break your internet and then yeah. Don't have them break your internet. <laughs> Not fun. Um right. the other thing then is I've already mentioned the templates. Um and then the last thing I did was actually attach the functions that now all exist, right? I can play the game from the console. So all that has to come into the event handlers now is just calls to the function. So if you look at my event handler for the I give up button, it just says quit game. That's the only thing that has been that event handler. The event handler for clicking on any of those buttons is just guess whatever the number is. Hmm. Right? So by having all of the functions written as standalone functions that you can interact with on the console, A, you get to debug them on the console, and B, when you finally come to plumb in your event handlers, your event handlers are so human friendly to read because they just say what they need to do. Right, right. That's neat. Yeah. I bet that's clean. Yes. And so the yeah, so if you look at my yeah, so my click handler literally is just quit game. You know, so it's yeah, it it just makes for much cleaner and easier to debug code. It's basically having it all in the separate functions. So I can work on making my guess function not broken without having to click anything, but just typing it into the console. And then if it does something unexpected, tweak my code, type it into the console again, and keep tweaking my code until it doesn't do something stupid. Hmm. And then move on to the next something stupid that needs fixing. And then when there's nothing stupid left, you're finished. Okay. And all of these functions that you created, these utility functions, they're all outside of the... uh, the function for reset game. Or, I'm sorry, outside of the... Outside of the Ajax. Document ready handler. And they're outside of the document ready handler. Oh, yes. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Uh, hang on, various functions. Yeah. I'm looking, so the I'm, document ready handler ends on line 275. Okay. And then, and then, so you end the document ready handler, then you've got your, your Ajax stuff going on, and then, oh, okay, oh, that's all your functions. Okay. Yeah, so my Ajax is inside my reset game function, which is you called it start game, I called it reset. Mm-hmm. Same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I sort of started um, getting tangled into that. So, the, what, what again has to be in the document ready handler? How do you know what does go in that? Because I have all kinds of stuff. In fact, I think all of my stuff is inside the document ready handler. Okay, so the document ready handler is where you attach your event handlers because you can't attach the event handlers until the page is rendered. Okay. Anything that needs to anything that needs the page to exist has to wait until the page is loaded. 
And so that's the document ready event. But you've only got one click handler. You've got your quit button is the only thing inside your document ready handler. I mean, it's inside. Yeah, it, it is inside your document object. R- r- that's true on a superficial level, but what's on line 274? It says reset game. That's not a so click I'm, handler. Ex- that's a I'm, function. Okay, but it's being called inside that handler, which means that function executes when the document is ready. Yes? Okay. And inside that function, I recreate the game grid from scratch every time. Okay. So I also attach event handlers in there in the success function Hmm. indirectly. So on line 313, I call a function reset game UI. But reset game UI is not defined in the document ready handler. No, correct. It's it's in the global scope. Okay. We were talking about click handlers and now we've gotten away from it. I see one click handler. No, no, we're not. No. No, we're, we haven't gotten away from it. We've so the the document ready handler calls the reset game function, which calls the reset game UI function, which sets the event handlers and the re- on those buttons because those buttons do not exist until I create them. Hmm. So the right. document ready the re- handler is is what runs when the page loads. So it says uh, one yes. of the things it's going to call is this function reset game UI. And in reset game UI, you create those click handlers, but that, but that reset game UI, it, um, uh, uh, exists or it, it's not written inside the document ready handler. It's written outside of it in the global scope. Yes. Hmm. Yes, exactly. It's called, but it, it it executes because of the chain of events set in motion by document ready, but it mm. is defined in the global scope, which means it exists, which is why I can go to the console and just right. type reset game UI. Right. I did start putting a whole you know, bunch of stuff I can do that at any there. time. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure I'll ask this quest- that question again, but as, as of this exact moment, I understand. <laughs> yes. And... It's a really important question because that is the nature of this event-based thinking. You know, defining what it is and defining when it will happen are not the same thing. So making the function exist and making the function go are two very, very distinct things. So the click handlers have to be in the to. have to be in the in the document ready handler. So you can't make it go until the document is ready. But you can define the function to say what you want to do when the document is ready. You can define that function anywhere, as long as you don't try to run it. Hmm. So the thread is, the pennies lifted back up off the paper as you kept talking this time. Um, Yeah, sorry, but uh, I, I... When you say function and then some name and then curly, you know, round brackets and open your curlies, what you are doing is you exist. No code executes. You just say this function exists. It has this name. Yes. It does these things. Yes. So you can do that anywhere. Yes. Because it doesn't run. It just says you now exist. Right. 
the important thing is that nothing is run until the document is ready. So the document ready handler has to start a cascade. It has to start the chain reaction by calling a function, which maybe calls another function, which maybe calls another function. But the thing that sets the ball rolling down the hill has to be the document ready handler. That has to be what kicks it all off. Okay, that I did figure out. Because <laughs> I noticed if my Ajax wasn't inside there, it didn't roll. Yeah, I mean, if if you... Tr- you could have written it in a way that to- it did, right? Sorry, we had a bit of a bad connection there for a moment. I lost oh, you for a bit. Um, you could have, I could have written it so that I had the the function defined or called in the document ready handler, which then had the AJAX stuff outside of the document uh, ready handler. Yeah, I mean, where you define okay. it and where you run it are not the same thing, I guess, is what it was. Yeah, to. yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's... That's sort of as much detail as I want to go into about my homework. But now I want to draw your attention to the stuff we don't know, the stuff that's new. So one of the things you pointed out to me was that while you were playing on a large screen, the fact that my message telling you whether you were too high or too low was above the grid of buttons was absolutely positively no problem whatsoever. You could click 24 is too high or 36 lower. 36 is too high. Anyway. And that was all fine until on a phone screen, I had to make it narrower so the buttons were actually clickable by human fingers without being pared down. And all of a sudden, that end was scrolled off the top. So I needed another way of giving feedback. And my initial thought was to use toasts. But toasts sit in a layer in front of the rest of your UI And unfortunately, they result in transparent overlays that you can't click through. (laughs) And so that meant that while the toast was up, there were buttons I couldn't click, which was immensely frustrating. Okay. So I threw the toasts away and I I went back to the drawing board and I went, right, what else is in Bootstrap? Bootstrap must have a tool that allows me to do this. And so what you actually want is an iOS-style little tool, a little bit of information that appears under where your finger, you know, under where you've clicked, under where you've tapped, under where you've done something. And in Bootstrap land, they call those popovers. We haven't covered them yet because I wasn't sure they were worthy of doing because they're just a little nice to have. But in this case, they were nice to have that actually made the difference between a usable UI and a not usable UI. And then we ended up not being able to do promises because I didn't have enough prep time because it logistics. <laughs> um, and so, okay, I've been sitting on popovers for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks trying to find an excuse to do them. This is actually a genuine real world. These are not just hypothetical. These make it work on a touchscreen. So let's because stop. Now I'm going to stop you for a second, Bart. Because um, what you have not yet described to the audience, and I can describe it if you want me to, is how your gameplay actually works and where you started, which was the first thing I said I had trouble with. So Bart's Bart's game is a grid of 100 uh, little buttons that you can press was the original way. So it's it's five across and 10 or 20 long, whatever, to make a grid of 100 20, buttons. Yeah. And uh, so when it first, when you first did it, I would tap on the buttons, but the buttons were maybe a quarter the size of my finger on a, on a, uh, on an iPhone. 
So then you you yeah. you did that with one tool, and then you switched to doing it with something else. And I was wondering what that those two things were. Okay, so the first thing is I used to just have a grid of ten. So my buttons are in button groups. Now they're in groups of five, and I use the grid to put them side by side on a large screen. You get two groups of five, which is ten, or you know, call, call dash, I think it's LG dash six versus call dash 12, basically. So they're, they're either five across or 10 across, depending on the size of your screen. Initially, they were all, it was a 10 by 10 grid, which meant that when you went onto a phone screen, it was only 10 high, which was grand, but it was way too narrow. Right. My fab So then I made them play. be, yeah. So then I made them responsive so that they, they became a five by 20. But then the message scrolled off the top of the screen. So it's like, well, I fixed one problem. You now can <laughs> click the buttons, but you now have to scroll up and down to see whether you got it right or not. Okay. That's okay. Not much better, right? It's different. Right, right. So I, I wanted to describe fixed. that. I wanted to describe that because that's why these popovers become important is it's he's got this grid. It's where you're tapping with your finger that these popovers are going to come into play. Yeah, so a popover is attached to a thing. So a popover doesn't exist on its own. A popover has no existence without its parent from which it springs. So it is literally attached to a something. And the something can be almost anything. But a popover does not exist without something to be attached to. So in my case, the popovers are attached to the buttons. And when you click the button, it shows the popover for two seconds and then the popover sorry one second and then the popover fades out of existence so it's not in your way so are there a hundred popovers sitting around waiting to be seen or is it the same popover showing up all over the place no so the popover doesn't really exist the popover is a property of the button so each button has this embedded popover within it that is shown and hidden Oh, okay. It's all done inside a giant big for loop. I didn't write a hundred buttons and I didn't write a hundred popovers. <laughs> I was going to say. I have a mustache template with a loop in it. Oh, okay. It goes from one to a hundred. Okay. Uh, because I'm a lazy sod and also copying and pasting 99 times, definitely a bad smell. Yep. So, okay. So visually the popover appears... Oh, sugar, I got it right. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> one in a hundred chance they crank on the one that doesn't have a popover because it's the correct answer. Um, yeah, one of them doesn't have a popover, by the way. 99 popovers and one of them <laughs> one of them just takes you to, congratulations, you won. <laughs> um, so when you click on the popover, a little sub-window appears below the thing it's attached to with a little triangle connecting it and it can contain a little message. So it's always in the context where you're interacting. That's the whole point of a popover. It's very, very contextual. And it's designed to give you contextual information around the actual thing you are currently interacting with. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So the the popover doesn't exist in isolation. Like a, a toast exists as a thing and you hide it and show it, but the popover doesn't actually exist. It's actually an extension of whatever it's attached to. 
And when we come to writing them, you're going to see that there, there really is a part of the button that you hide and show. So that, that's what they look like visually. And, and the problem they solve is context for. So a bootstrap pop-up. Okay, so from now, from now for the next wee while, let's move to PPS78A, which has lots and lots of pop-overs. <laughs> okay. So the popovers in my example are the simplest possible popovers because they don't have a title. They only have a body and they just say lower or higher, right? They're extremely simple. A normal popover will actually have a title and a body. So some sort of heading and then some sort of body. So demo one is a really basic popover that says click me. So if you click there, you'll see that a normal popover has a popover title and some boring popover content. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I like to be funny when I can. Um. So, how does that look in HTML? Well, let's let's flip back to the show notes. So that button has all the normal stuff you'd expect: button type equals button, class equals button, button dash secondary, and button dash sm to make it a small button. Small is a relative term. Okay. Um. Then we come to the magic. Data dash toggler equals popover. Hey, we saw toggler before. That was the hamburger, wasn't it? Well, data dash, yeah, but that was data dash toggler equals something else. Right, right. But we've seen data dash toggler. Yes. And I think data dash toggler can be used for modals as well. Data dash toggler can be used for a lot of things. What you put into the quotation marks tells Bootstrap which plugin to go do. Okay. And so data dash toggler goes popover basically says, I am going to, the thing I'm going to toggle is a popover. Okay. The title for your popover actually goes into the title attribute of the HTML. Oh, that's element. too easy. Title equals, quote, a popover yeah. title. Huh. Okay. The content goes into a data attribute. Data dash content equals some boring popover content. Well, that's too easy. And then you just close off the button. Huh. It is too easy, Alison, because there is unfortunately one small complication <laughs> that's about to hit you. But it's not a very complicated one, but it, so you're right, it is too easy. Okay. So the HTML is very simplistic. For efficiency reasons, this is one of those bootstrap components that you have to initialize yourself. It doesn't hmm. automatically initialize. And we've seen two of these before. The toasts we had to initialize by calling dot toast on them. Yeah. And the modals we had to initialize by calling dot modal on them. Well, you have to initialize the popover using its same named jQuery plugin dot popover. Hmm. So somewhere in your document ready handler, you have to tell jQuery to enable popover behavior on everything that you want it on. Do you do it on on every element? Or you just say this for, once it's in the document ready handler, that that makes it go for the whole page? Well, that's up to you. Hmm. So the the popover function is going to get called on the output of the dollar function. Mm -hmm. And if you were to call it on everything on the page, they would all suddenly develop empty popovers. Every paragraph, everywhere you clicked would create an empty popover if you just said, put it on everything. Okay. So you could do them one by one, give each of them an ID and say dollar, open parens, open quote, octothorpe ID, 
close quote, close parens, dot pop over. Mm-hmm. And you have to pass it an empty object as the only argument, just because you just do. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could give them all a class and use, you know, dot name of class. Or you can use the wonderful CSS selector, which is the attribute selector, which is the square bracket. So every popover contains data dash toggler equals popover. Right. Data dash toggler is an HTML attribute. Popover is its value. So the CSS selector for all tags with the data attribute data dash toggler on the value popover is open square bracket data dash toggler equals popover close square bracket. Yeah, that's swell. That is swell. And then you call dot popover with the empty object as the only argument. And hey, presto, you've now initialized all the togglers on the page. But Sorry, all the popovers on the page. But they don't pop over just because you did that. That just says they're, we're ready to go. It's They now exist, but they're waiting to be triggered. And actually, the actual word in the documentation is trigger. Okay. So by default, the default trigger for a popover is click. Oh. So in other words, by default, every popover is sitting dormant until you click on it. And then it springs in, then it toggles. So you click the click me button once and the popover appears. And you click the click me button again and it disappears. And you click it a third time and it reappears. And a fourth time and it vanishes. And the fifth, you get the idea. So, so let me see if I can say this correctly. If you... um. If you put this uh, dot popover on the HTML attribute uh, data dash toggler equals popover, if you put that in the document ready handler, that means it is now, you know, the the rubber band has been wound up, ready to go. If you yes, exactly. if you put that outside of your document ready handler, then that would actually never be ready to go. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because again, until all of the buttons exist on the page, it's too early to tell it to go find them all and attach the appropriate stuff to them. Yeah, yeah. So it's got to be ready. It's got to be ready. Okay. You you can't load a gun when the barrel hasn't been attached yet. Oh, I like my rubber band. the chamber, I guess. I like my little rubber band wind-up airplane better. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, so if you wind it up too soon, there's no propeller yet because... (laughs) What do you got? Nothing. Yeah, that's where we go. Okay. <laughs> okay. So keep your powder dry. As the old, oh, we're back to bloody guns. Yeah. No, we're Sorry. not doing guns. So round up airplane. Isn't it amazing how much of our synonyms and analogies and stuff are based off weaponry? Yeah, I got one in the chamber. All right. Yeah. There you go. You see, they're everywhere. <laughs> yep. It's not just me. It's our culture. Um. Okay. So we now have the world's simplest popover. And that wasn't actually very hard. The small subtlety was that we had to manually enable them all by using a bit of JavaScript. But I think we did it for Toast. We survived. We can do it again. Yes. So now let's look at these triggers in a little bit more detail. So I told you the default trigger is click. Well, if something has a default, it probably has more than one possible value. Yeah. So the first other value I want to mention is hover. So you can have popovers that are triggered to appear and disappear by hovering over and then moving away from a thing. So if you go back to the demo page, demo two, it says under the hover subheading, you you can have popovers that appear and disappear as the user hovers over an element. 
For example, hover over the acronym PBS to see a simple popover without a title that defines the acronym. So you hover over a PBS and it says Programming by Stealth, and you move away and it vanishes. It does. So let's have a look at the HTML that made that go. So this time there's no button because I'm just wrapping it around some text. So I needed a tag of any sort. So I could have used the strong tag if I wanted to make it bold as well. But I decided to just make it a very neutral tag. And I went with good old fashioned span, right? Which is your, I don't know what to call this. So I'll call it a span. Okay. Um, I used a bootstrap utility class we may not have seen before. I don't remember. It's the class mark. And it basically pretends to be a highlighter pen. I have not seen Which is that, why you yeah. have that nice, subtle yellow highlighter around PBS. Yeah. So that's what the class equals mark does. It just marks it in yellow. Because I wanted to mark it somehow, right? But I didn't want to underline it to make it look like a link. So I right. made it, made it real it. easy for me to... I just instinctively went over and hovered on that. Because I could Phew. tell that was where to go. So good. Yeah, excellent. That was what I was hoping to achieve. So mission accomplished. Phew. Okay. Then we have the data dash toggler equals popover. Okay, mm-hmm. nothing unusual there. Now we have a new data attribute data dash trigger equals hover okay then so if you put in nothing dash. it does the the default but if you do data dash trigger then it, it you have to tell it what what action to do yes okay. or you could if you wanted to be very explicit you could say data dash trigger equals click okay right would be explicitly doing the default mm-hmm. and sometimes there's actually value in that because when you're reading your own code it's like oh i know what that does because it says click yeah yeah, I was just thinking I probably should write that because I'll be going, why does that work? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. So th- there is a lot to be said actually for not falling over the defaults. Then we have a data dash content equals programming by stealth, and we do not have a title tag, which is why when you hover over PBS, there is no title. It's just the content part of the popover. Okay, right. So that. So that is nice, right? So that's the hover trigger. There's another trigger, which is focus. And focus doesn't always make sense. It only makes on things that are focusable in web speak. And the way I think of it is your form elements are focusable because you can tab between them. Links are focusable because screen readers can tab between them. Not necessarily tab, use the rotor. Screen readers can move between them so they can have focus. They can be the thing that is focused. Mm, And anything where you give the HTML attribute tab index equals some number, what that does is it makes it focusable. So it means that a screen reader will jump to that thing and give it focus. Okay. So anything that's either a form element, a link, or expressly made focusable, it can have equals focus, and it makes sense. It can so, have, uh, sorry, data trigger, dash trigger equals focus. It, we just yeah. had a little audio breakup. I wanted to repeat that. Ah, yes. Okay. Sorry about that. So to make that not so abstract, you will notice that there is a text box sitting there idly in our demo page. Mm-hmm. It is not focused when the page loads, but if you click into it, you focus the text box. Yeah. And what happens? A little popover appears saying enter some text. And then if you click anywhere else on the page, the text box loses focus and the trigger, uh, the um, popover goes away. That's nice. These are pretty, too, to the audience. These have like, they're like a little thought bubble, but rectangular yeah. and, and, and nice. 
I, I want to brag one little bit about my homework. I was very excited when I figured out how, because uh, my gameplay was you typed a number into a into a uh, field, and mm-hmm. uh, I figured out how after you tr- after you say is that the right guess to have it f- erase it and focus back in the box. That was a big accomplishment. Yeah, okay. and that's a really really good thing to do from a UI point of view because it means the user isn't having to go and find the mouse and move and point and click, right? It's really, if you're going to be snotty to them, the least you can do is empty the field for them and put the cursor where you want them to go. And and But I only did it because it was really irritating to me because I was playing it several 800 times. But, but uh, erasing that field and, and uh, making it focused, that was like Tuesday. That's how long that took me. But I, so I was very right, proud of it. But- the next time it won't be because now you know at the very least where in the documentation to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, oh, I would want to do that. Oh, actually, yeah, sorry. The first thing you know is this is possible. Yeah. Right? Right. That's the most important thing that's followed away in my brain is the list of things that can be done. There's also a list of things that after a day of swearing I've discovered can't be done. <laughs> There's also a list that is maintained in my brain. Right, right. Secondary to that is a list of keywords that will probably help me Google it next time. Yeah, that and that might be most of the trick. You know, like that problem I had the last time we were talking about where the correct thing to search on was the word offset, but I didn't think of offset, so I never found it. Yeah. I know it I'm now. Up the, yeah, and now that it's filed away in there, and that's kind of all you need to remember. Exactly how it works is irrelevant. You're just wasting brain space. Mm-hmm. Just know know what's possible, know what's impossible, and know what to Google for, and that's it. That is the secret to being a programmer. Well, no, that wait, is, no, that is how you four. can find you forgot the one. FM to OR. <laughs> you forgot the last one. To be able to read what you Googled to see whether the person actually knew what they were talking about. That is true, actually. You do need a bit of a spidey sense for this guy's a spoofer. The great thing, though, with Stack Overflow is the votes... Yeah, the community in Stack Overflow is on average quite intelligent. Yeah, and yeah. so if it has a green check mark and has been accepted as the correct answer, it's almost certainly worthy of it. Or a, and if it has like a few hundred a up load votes, of upvotes, yeah, yeah. When you see two upvotes, you're like, mm, I think I'll go look for another page to see if somebody else uh, understands that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stack Overflow. While it's a bit weird because the internet didn't used to have anything like it, it's actually proved to be a really good idea. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, huge fan. Anyway. Okay, okay. so we're focused. We got that one. All right. We're not quite finished with focus because oh. actually focus has another use. And so if we go back to demo one, I find it supremely annoying that I have to click exactly on that button to make that bloody popover go away. Where would you like to click? I would like to be able to click bloody well anywhere, please. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. It, it, bringing it up, you're okay with clicking the button. It's making it go away. Why do I have to click right on it? Yeah, you're right. That took me a while going, it's not going away, Bart. Oh, I have to type, hit right on the button. Yeah. You can use the focus uh, trigger in conjunction with the link as in the A tag, to achieve the desired outcome. This will not work with a button, but with the magic of Bootstrap, you can make any link look like a button by giving it the class BTN and BTN-primary or dash-secondary or dash-success, whatever you like. So that button on the row on the paragraph below our text box is done with a trigger of focus. So when you click on that, 
it pops up a dismissible popover that tells you to click anywhere on the page to make me go away. Ah. Okay. So because it's a link, it has the concept of being in focus. When you click on the link, the link is now in focus. That's why the popover is up. When you click anywhere else on the page, the link loses focus. So the popover goes away. Ah, very nice. But it doesn't work on buttons. But it doesn't matter because if you give the link the class btn and btn-whatever, hey presto, it works. So if you look at the code, oh yes, sorry. One other caveat, the documentation is very clear that if you want this to work reliably, you have to give it a tab index. Oh. Hmm. The docs just say, if you want this to work well, give it a tab index. Okay, so It doesn't really matter what tab index you, well, in this case, it doesn't really matter what tab index you give it. If you're actually putting it into a UI, you'd probably have an opinion whether it should be near the start of the tab sequence or near the end of the tab sequence. The tab index, by the way, is the order in which thing, when you hit the tab key with the screen reader or whatever, it's the order they should cycle through. And it goes from low to high. Oh, so right. if you have five, five things with an index of zero, those five will, be, will go through in the order they appear in the HTML. Mm-hmm. And then it will go into anything with a tab index of one right. in the order they appear in the HTML. And then everything with a tab index of two in the order they appear in the HTML and so on and so forth until everything has been tabbed to. And then it will start at zero again and cycle you around again. So that's that's how tab index works. Let me ask you a question here. So you said you need to attach this to an A tag, and the A tag you chose is script colon void zero. When yeah, I, I didn't click- want it to actually go anywhere. In the real world, you probably don't actually want... You, you, you don't want clicking the link to navigate the page away. So when I click that, I get a blank page that says script colon void. When really? I yeah, when I click that, it actually goes to script colon void. Mine doesn't. Mine does. Script colon void parentheses zero close parentheses. Black page says Safari can't open the specified address. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Code Runner is behaving the way I would have expected. I've obviously Trium- done something silly. Try opening it in Safari. It'd be interesting to see. Um I wasn't going to say anything because I thought it was just something weird. But then when I saw, well, wait a minute, but you it can't open this in Safari. Sa- but you can you open this in Safari? So far, so so far, everything has been acting just fine. Yeah, because this isn't doing any AJAX, so you're not running into a same origin policy issue. So it should work in Safari. Yeah, sorry, I had to mentally take my way through here because last <laughs> week's stuff did not work in. Like right. That. Right. Okay, well, you're supposed. I may have made a minor boo boo there because what you basically want to happen is that the link not be a link. Right, right. Um, yeah, in Code Runner, it acts just fine, but in Safari, it actually goes to script colon void. Yeah, so this probably, section may or may not be like this when you get there to see it. Yeah, I, I may have to do a bit of tweaking. Okay, or maybe there'll be a little aside there or something that says, uh, yeah. Yes. We'll- do that later anyway okay gotcha once i once i back up it it does what it says it's supposed to do it stays up and then i can i can click anywhere on the page to get away from it perfect so data dash trigger Uh, equals focus is what did that yes combined with the tab index right it might work without it but if you want it to always work okay and that it was in it was a link tag and it was a link tag, yeah. Huh. So that's what the documentation was very clear on, so that's what I did. Now, 
the next thing I want to tell you, we're, we're going to look at it in detail in a moment, but I now want you to put a pin in it. There is a fourth type of trigger. So click is the default, hover we've seen, and focus we've seen. All three of those have something in common in that they provide an out-of-the-box mechanism for just making the popover appear without any JavaScript being involved, right? All you did was give it that attribute and it behaved appropriately. Sometimes you actually don't want any automatic behavior. You actually want, like with the toast, to trigger it entirely by your code. You want to take ownership. So the way you do that is you say trigger equals manual. And that just disables all the automated behavior and you're now in charge. Oh, okay. And so we're going to circle back to my sample solution because that's what I did. Okay. Because I have none of these behaviors, right? My behavior is I show you the thing for one second and then it sods off. Right. Nothing we have here achieves that. Okay. Okay. Um, The other thing I want to say is that you are allowed to have multiple triggers on the same popover with one exception. The manual trigger cannot be friends with anyone. Yeah, it makes sense. It does make sense because it means don't be automatic. How can you not be automatic and be automatic in this way? So you could say hover or click could make something happen. Yes, and huh. that is a really good example because hover or click is actually the one you will find in the real world a lot of the time. So the last button on the demo page says hover over or click me. So if you hover over, you see a hoverable push or popover and then you move away and it vanishes. Okay. Now click on it. Oh, now it stays up there. So it's pinnable. Hmm. Click again, it's now loose. Okay. Huh. That might be a good way to have it exist for um, mouse people and finger people. So finger people have to click, but why make people on a computer click when they could just hover with their mouse? Precisely. And the reason this is so important is not, okay, it's nice that it makes things easier for the mouse people, but the inverse is actually a much bigger problem. Hover only does not work on mobile. No, no, not at all. So it's an important thing that I don't think we've said enough is that hover is a great way to add utility on the desktop. But if you build a UI where the hover is fundamental to its operation, you have made a desktop-only interface that is useless to people with disabilities. Because screen readers also do not hover. But... They move, they focus from place to place to place. No, they but don't you can click hover. with the screen when you're using a screen reader. You, know, right, you can click, click, but you can tap on the, on the mobile. I'm saying if you make it hover only, if you use hover as your only mechanism for interacting, you have made an oh. inaccessible mobile hostile app. It's okay. You know, click is fine. Click works everywhere. Right. But if the only way to do something is by hovering, it will not work on mobile and it will not work for the disabled. Interesting. So okay. hover, yeah. So hover is for enhancement only. It's for giving a little extra present to people who can, but it can't be the only way of doing something. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So hence, hover and click is actually in the real world the most common 
way to trigger popovers. That on focus, focus inside forums is excruciatingly useful because it gives you contextual information that appears physically with an arrow connected to the thing you're doing <laughs> to tell you something. It is the best way to get your bloody attention. Right. If you want to be snarky at people, that's the place. <laughs> right? Me? Okay. So let us circle back a little bit to JavaScript. So we've been avoiding the JavaScript here by just using these data attributes. Data dash trigger, data dash content. Uh, what else do we have? Data dash toggler. And the title tag is the odd man out because the title tag isn't a data tag. Right. Which makes it special. Anyway. Can I can I make a guess here? And I'm not cheating reading the notes like I do often. Um, mm -hmm. Can we write to them the same way we did when we created modals and toasts with JavaScript? Yes, we can because that is, yes, yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. 10 out of 10. Yay. That, that pattern, that, style of interaction is actually not a bootstrap thing. That's a jQuery thing. And because bootstrap uses jQuery, bootstrap uses that jQuery thing. That's how jQuery plugins work. And so there is a jQuery plugin called popover, which is actually what's powering the bootstrap popovers. <laughs> it's turtles all the way down. It's turtles all the way down. And so that plugin, the way you initialize any jQuery plugin is by saying the name of the plugin and passing it as an argument, an object. And so far, we have been passing it an empty object because we have to pass it an object because otherwise it won't initialize. But we have had no, we haven't told it anything else. We've been relying on the data attributes to carry the information. Anything you can put in a data attribute, you can put straight into that object. Okay. So there is actually a lot of supported options. And the link in the show notes will take you to the relevant section of the documentation that lists them all. I just want to highlight a small handful of them to you. So the first option that you can pass in when you're creating your popover is title. And that one's a bit of an oddball because all of the rest of them, right, the option content is equivalent to the attribute data-content. Oh. But title is a special case because the, the option title is equivalent to the attribute title. Okay. Not, not data, data dash, dash title. title. Okay. Yeah. It's different. It's special. All the rest of them are not special. Okay. So content, the option content is equivalent to data dash content. So it is the content for the popover's body. And okay. by default... Uh, Bootstrap treats the body of a popover as plain text. So if you pass it an angle bracket, it will replace it with ampersand LT semicolon so that you actually see an angle bracket inside the text. Oh, okay. If you want to put HTML in there, and you absolutely can, as proven by my game, because my game contains a font a font awesome favicons or not favicons glyphicons and it contains clearly yellow text which is obviously some sort of text dash danger so there's obviously html going on in my popovers right and that is controlled by the next option with the wonderful name html and that's basically a true false okay if you set html to any truthy value then content is treated as HTML and the angle brackets are not replaced. They're actually put through as HTML. 
Okay. And if you set that HTML option to any falsy value, then they do get replaced. And the default value for HTML is false. Oh, okay. That's important. That's important. So if you want to use HTML, you have to proactively say HTML colon true or colon one, some sort of truthy value. The next option is one we've seen already, trigger. So as I've said, you can have the value click, hover, focus, any combination of those three you like, or the single value manual. Okay. Because manual has no friends. Right. Oh. The next is placement. So if you wanted to do that in HTML, it would be data dash placement equals. Or if you do it as an object, it's just placement colon. And you have five options. And it's which direction should we pop in? Oh. It can be top, bottom, left, right, or auto. And auto basically means that if it's near an edge of the screen, it will go the other way. So if you're near the top of the screen and it would pop off the top, it will go to the bottom. If you're near the left, it will go to the right. If you're near the right, it will go to the left. So it, by default, is very intelligent. But sometimes you actually have an opinion. So in the case of my game, they're always, always, always below the button you click. So I actually explicitly set mine to placement to colon bottom. Huh. But the um, default... No, that isn't true. If it gets near the bottom of the window, if it's too close, it goes up. Are you talking in my game or in the demo page? Oh, the demo game. page is also. Sorry, sorry. I went back. I've been playing the game. I don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> no, I was testing that exact thing while you were talking. No, no. So, yeah. So in the game, they're always at the bottom, whereas on the demo page, I left them at auto. So in the demo page, you'll notice that the edge ones will go one way and the you know they won't bounce off an edge, basically. And that's the default behavior. And 99% of the time, that's actually very sensible. Are you but if you have an opinion, you... Exp- Sorry, on the 78A popovers demo, I'm seeing them go right, right and left. Program by stealth goes to the right. Click me. The very first one goes to the right. The one that goes to JavaScript void, that one goes to the right. Hover over, click me, went to the left. I cannot make... Okay, right. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. The ones on PBS 78A are all set to auto. Oh, I thought you said they were all set to go down. No, no. In my game, they're all set to go down. (laughs) No, they're not. Okay, that's where I started. No, if they get too close to the edge, they go up. To get I close to the bottom edge. Up. I just clicked on. I've got ninety. Oh, just okay. So the, okay, sorry. The, okay, so they okay. So they do. They don't. Oh, okay. They do event. Okay, they it do overrides you and says, "Okay, that was cute, Bart. That you thought it should go on the bottom, but they're not going to be able to see that. So I'm going to put it up for you." Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is actually possible. Oh, that's interesting. If you scroll really quick, you can make him jump as you go. <laughs> It'll be very quick, though, because you only have a second. Okay, so yes, yeah, so, okay, so you get to assert your preference. And if your preference is impossible, you still lose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, good, though. That was fun. There's probably a way to force that, actually, if we go back to the documentation. I'm sure that, I'm sure there's, a, there's another option somewhere to say, no, no, I really mean it. I bet you anything. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't go yeah. read documentation on that. I got a gin and tonic coming here, so <laughs> keep going. Okay. Back. Anyway, there's almost certainly fallback placement. Uh, ah, the default fallback placement is flip. Oh. In other words, by default, oh. it mirrors itself. Well, that was worth going to the documentation. Yeah. 
But you can pass an array and you can list the orders. You can list them in any order. So if you want to go clockwise, you could list them left, right, top, bottom. But by (laughs) default, it flips. Okay. Cool. There we go. Okay. So that's, there you go. Thank you for asking that question. And we did some live RTFMing. There you go. Which is exactly what I would do in the real world. (laughs) Um, So that's placement. And then the last one is sanitize. And this is another one where the default is very sensible, but perhaps not expected. So the docs will actually list you what's allowed. So by default, if you say to to a bootstrap popover, be in HTML mode, it's actually in filtered HTML mode, which bootstrap calls sanitized HTML. Hmm. And the reason is if the information has come from the user you actually don't want to allow certain tags like say the scripts tag because then you could have all sorts of nasty cross-site scripting vulnerabilities Hmm. so the default behavior is to sanitize the html for the popover but if you're writing the code yourself and it's not coming from the user it's coming from you then there is no need to do that and yes it's true that most of the time you're going to hit the whitelisted tags but by golly, are you going to be left scratching your head if <laughs> it's sanitizing behind your back and you accidentally uh. stray outside of the acceptable range? So I expressly said sanitize equals false when I'm the one in charge of the HTML. But the default is sanitize equals true. All right. Well, that's uh, good to know. Yeah, I could just see. It's good to know because it's a wee landmine right? you can trod on otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in terms of JavaScript then, just like with the toasts, it was name of plugin, open bracket, and then a string saying what you wanted to do. So when they came of toast, it was show and hide. Well, do you know something? In the case of popovers, it's popover show and popover hide. <laughs> nice. Okay. And there's also popover toggle. Ah. Uh, there are also, there's a few more functions, but again, link in the show notes to the relevant section of the documentation. And there are also event handlers, just like you had the bs-modal- or bs.modal.hidden and stuff like that. There's also popover hidden and so forth. But I'm going to leave that as an exercise to the, to the listener because it really is exactly the same as with toasts and with modals. So we've seen all this before. Yeah. Okay. So to finally wrap everything up here, um, in my code for my game, I initialize the popovers by saying dot popover, open curly bracket to start my object, trigger colon manual, placement colon bottom, sanitize colon false, HTML colon true, title colon empty string to force them not to have a title, content, and then the variable body HTML, which I have done a mustache dot render on. Hmm. Okay. And then inside my one of my uh, in, inside um one of my utility functions i actually call so inside my guest number function in fact i show the pop up so i say dollar guest button dot pop over show and then i say window dot set timeout guest button dot pop over hide in some number guest pop over duration times a thousand so basically i have a global variable guest guess popover duration that's the number of seconds I wanted for because I wasn't sure what I wanted so I just made it a variable so I could change my mind and then I multiply it by a thousand so I don't have to remember milliseconds and so that's how the hiding is happening I am showing and then I'm setting a timeout which will hide excellent got it no questions perfect okay so very quickly uh, is.js is the last thing I want to mention it's 
all right, it's one of those things that's so small and so simple, you're just going to fall in love with it. So if you wanted to check that a number is between 1 and 20 inclusive and is an integer, you have to do all sorts of ugly, human, unfriendly stuff like, you know, yes, if I did. string value dot match starts with a digit followed by maybe more digits ends with and the value is less than or equal to one and the value is sorry greater than or equal to one and less than or equal to 20 it's a mess wouldn't it be so much nicer if i could say if is dot integer val and is dot within one comma 20 that'd be just so much easier to read so much easier to write so much easier to do everything with right oh that's beautiful well that's what is dot js is for so their webpage is is.js.org. I don't know how they got that domain, but credit to them. And it is just a collection of little JavaScript type checks that you can just use. And they're basically is.nameofcheck. So if you look on the documentation, you'll see that there's lots of really useful ones in there. They're broken into categories. So under arithmetic, you have equal, even, odd, positive, negative, above, under, within, decimal, integer, finite, infinite. You have, um, let me see, some nice useful ones under regex. URL. Yeah, that's a horrible oh, regular expression to write. Yeah, you've been killing us these last couple of weeks yeah. with that. URL, email, credit card, alphanumeric, time string, date string, US zip code, California, not California, Canadian <laughs> zip code, UK postal code. I mean, so this they're is, just sitting here. So this is part of Bootstrap. It's called... No. No. This is is.js. It's its own thing. Oh, okay. You skipped over a paragraph. That's what I, I saw a heading there. Okay, so this is part of uh, JavaScript. Well, it's not part of JavaScript. This is... A JavaScript library like jQuery oh, okay. is a JavaScript library. Gotcha. This is its okay, own got thing. You. Got you. Okay. Could you could you rewind to a week ago Tuesday and tell me this? <laughs> <laughs> I I did feel sorry when you said you'd spent all of this time checking type and stuff because I was like, I'm about to make this a lot easier for Allison. <laughs> <laughs> all so right. well, but no, I needed works. to do those muscles. That's true, actually, because now you see the value of is.js because yeah. you've done it the hard way, and now you're going to really appreciate the easy way. Yeah. So it's basically is.nameofcheck open bracket value to test, and it will mm. return true or false. So as an example, if we had a variable named boogers, and we wanted to see if it contained a URL, we would say is.url boogers. Hmm. Some of the checks take arguments because they need to. An example of this is the within check, which checks if something is between one number and another. So in that case, the arguments come after the thing you're checking. So if you had a variable called snot and you wanted to see if it was between 1 and 100, you would say is dot within snot comma 1 comma 100. Okay, okay. And I assume you could put in like uh, CSS selectors and things? Well, no, you're, okay, so is.js just checks a value. So where you get the value from is up to you. As long right. as what ends up there is a value, it will check it. Okay. Now, the last thing that is.js does is it has these things which it calls interfaces. And they're for doing slightly more complicated checks. The first interface is nice and simple. It's not. So instead of you having exclamation points, which are very easy to miss and not all that easy to read, you can simply put the word not inside your check. So the way it works is, is 
dot name of interface dot check name value to test. So let's make that not so abstract and say, imagine we have a variable named puke and we want to make sure it does not contain an email address. You would say is dot not dot email puke. Uh, we broke up a little bit uh, there. Say that one more time. Okay, so if we had a variable named puke and we wanted to check that it was not an email address, you would say is dot not dot email open parens puke close parens. Wow. This cannot have been written by the people who wrote JavaScript. There's got to be some other side group that said, we're going to make this. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> this is complete. And the reason it was written is precisely because JavaScript does not give you this out of the box. Mm -hmm. And the reason I love it so much, I like my code to read like English. Yeah. And that is that is so much easier it's, to read not than email. not. Yeah. 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 Now, Beautiful. There's, there, oh, sorry. We're good. Okay, we're, sorry, with the, with the connection being so bad, we are so stomping on each other by accident today. Oh, it's, I'm having fun. We're great. It's all okay, good. good. Phew. So there are two more interfaces designed for dealing with arrays of values. So what if I want to check an array? Well, then I'm not interested. Then, then I'm actually potentially interested in either of two things. Either I want everything in the array to be an email address or to be a number or to be something, or I just want any of them to be whatever it is I'm looking for. And so the last two interfaces are .all and .any. So if I have an array called vomarray and I want to make sure that everything in that array is an IPv4 IP address, I would say is .all.ipv4 and then pop in the name of the array. Oh, wow. If, on the other hand, I just want to see if at least one thing in the array is, say, empty, Right, empty is a great one. I love empty. So empty returns true if it's a string with no letters in it, an array with no things in it, or an object with no keys. They'll return true for empty. Wonderfully oh, okay. useful is, is that empty. So, so if you want to make, if you want to see, see if any cell in the array, anything in the array is empty. If or anything in the array is empty, it's is dot dot empty name of array. Okay. So if you have a whole bunch of stuff and you want to make sure that they have that none of them are empty strings. Shove them all into an array and run an is that any against them. Okay. And if any of them are empty, you can whine. So, sorry, one of your required fields is empty. I told you, you know, if they're bright red, make them not be empty. So the last small, small subtlety is that not every check supports every interface. So if you look in the documentation, you'll see it has the name of the check in bold on the left, followed by a little bit of English and then a whole bunch of examples. In smaller text on the right, it says interfaces colon, and then it will list the ones you're allowed to use. So is.even supports dot not, dot all, and dot any. So okay. I've marked the little red box to That's show a, you what's Okay, look. here's the first time they've done something that annoys me. Name of interface. That How is that an interface? Not is an interface? I'm yeah. I'm not going yep. there. <laughs> okay. All right. That's it that's going to be yeah. the hard thing to remember. Okay. But looking at the screenshot you did from there, that makes sense. You can see. Okay. So you can use is dot even. You can use it for is not even. Is all even. Is any even. Okay. Exactly. All right. And as you scroll through the page, some of them you can only use with not. You can't do an all or an any on them. Oh. Huh. Okay. All right. 
So the very, very last thing then is, how do I get this coolness? I yeah. want this coolness, clearly. Well, I want it anyway. Um, it, it actually is one single file. So you could just download the one single is.js file from their GitHub page and pop it into the same folder as your HTML file and just say script src equals is.js. Okay. Or you could be lazy and download it from a CDN. Three guesses what I do. Well, um, I, I don't know if I'd call that lazy. I find it incredibly tedious when I'm itching to start writing and I've got to go find JavaScript or jQuery and I got to go find uh, the CSS bootstrap stuff and then I got to go find this. I just because ah. once I was burned where I copied it from the previous week and the new thing we'd learned wasn't in last week's version of Cloudflare's whatever. Well, if you think that's tedious, imagine how tedious it would be if you were to download all of Bootstrap into the folder where you're working on every time. Oh, I thought I'd just do it once. Okay. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so right. for that reason, I like to load is.js from a CDN. Now, is.js doesn't have an official CDN, but there's a wonderful free CDN powered by those really nice people in Cloudflare called CDNJS. Excellent. And if you go to their homepage, there's a search box and you just type in the name of the JavaScript library you want. So if you just search for is.js there, they'll just give you the script tag to include. I have, of course, shoved the script tags right in the show notes for your, you know, copying but and pasting that's pleasure. dangerous, though. We've done that before. And then the next time you go, it's a different version or something. I think it's better for us to go all the time to go get them, no? It depends. If it's something that changes very often, yes. And Bootstrap is under very active development because Bootstrap 4 is quite new. So oh, okay. there is a difference between Bootstrap 4.3 and Bootstrap 4.2. The difference being 4.2 had no toasts and 4.3 has toasts, and that's exactly how we got bitten. Oh, okay. But something like is.js is so simple, it's it's small? It's simple, it's small, and it hasn't really changed. If you go to their GitHub page, you'll see that the last edit time is three years ago. <laughs> okay. Because it kind of... It does what it says in the tin and it's finished like. Yeah. Okay. Do we get to play with these? We do. So I have an updated challenge for you. So using either your game or my sample game as a starting point, it doesn't really matter. Using one of them as a starting point, we're going to transform it into an educational tool. So guessing a number where we tell you whether you're too high or too low that actually allows us to simulate what we're actually doing there is a is a search and we can teach just through the ui we can teach people intuitively that the best way to do this kind of a search is what's called a binary search your first guess should be in the middle and then you will immediately rule out half of the possible answers and then you guess in the middle of what's left and you guess in the middle of what's left and you guess in the middle of what's left that's called the binary search and that's the most efficient possible search and every so single what i'd person, like you to do every single person who ever used mac os 7 knows this what were, what were really? those yeah there were these dreadful things I, i'm gonna call them extensions i i don't think that okay. was the name for them that loaded on boot and you would start getting oh. bizarre behavior. And the only way to figure out what was going wrong was to turn off half of them. And if it kept oh, going, geez. then you knew it was in the other half or in the half you left on and you had to go half, 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 half till you found it. And I, I did yeah, it I'm just trying to remember what they were called. Yeah. yeah they were basically extensions. extensions, but because before Mac OS, yeah, because those early versions of the OS were single threaded, 
if one of those extensions locked up, your entire OS was gone because there was yeah. no multi-threading to ever get you back ever again. The OS basically lost control of itself. Yep, yep, yep. And I actually had a problem with a a, a, a hiccup during an update of a plugin that took podfeed.com offline and I did not call you because I, w- I said, well, I think it's one of those extensions. I saw something go wrong right at the last minute and I just cut it in half, cut it in half, cut it in half and I found out what it was. Reran it, put the new one in, and everything worked. And then you never got a phone call because of a binary search. So there. Well, yay to the binary search. <laughs> exactly. So if you've never seen binary search, there's a link to the Wikipedia article, which is a bit tedious, or a really cool video from HackerRank that explains it with a nice cartoon. Hmm. So you'll probably prefer the nice cartoon, to be honest. Okay. So what I'd like you to do is to update your user interface so that it's obvious to the user that every time they choose, they have just made a bunch of guesses impossible. So somehow communicate the fact that they have eliminated a certain number of possibilities. Okay. And then if you make that clear, the user will soon see that if I click near the start, I have only eliminated perhaps 10, or if I'm lucky, 90, but on average, that's not going to work out very well. But if I click in the middle, I've always taken out half. And so by just showing people somehow visually, any way you like, just show people the effect of their choice, you should start to make it clear that all guesses are not equal. And Ah, then to really hammer the point home, on your final congratulations you won screen, add in a line that says, by the way, you did it in X amount of guesses and binary search would have gotten it in Y amount. And then the person can soon learn that by randomly guessing, they're less efficient than binary search. <laughs> okay. All right. right? So it's a, it's a passive-aggressive game is what it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay, I, so I, there you I, go. I don't think that's passive-aggressive at all. I think that that's, that makes it fun. I like it. Okay, good, good. So there we go. So now our game becomes an educational game. And uh, this time... I actually promise we are next time going to take ourselves out of callback hell. <laughs> okay, you promise. <laughs> I promise. All right. Well, I do believe that wraps us up with a whopping two minutes until you're hard out. So that was good timing. <laughs> good job. Good job, Bart. We uh, we fooled around a lot, but uh, I I had great fun in this. This was really interesting. And this, this particular assignment has been the most fun I've had so far. Oh, good. I, I was. I knew the point would come in the series where we had enough tools that we could start to do this, where I could just give you an open-ended thing and everyone could just pick their own favorite tools and that everyone's answer would be completely different and that would just be fun. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad we've arrived. <laughs> great. Well, anyway, this is, uh, this is great and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Talk to you in a couple of weeks and until then, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.